already on the board. I did it already.
and selfish, skeptical, suspicious, thoughtless, unemotional, untrusting. And I'm sure there's a bunch that you can think of that I don't even have up on the board. These are all attitudes that we can take into our service of the Lord, even. These are things that just creep in. And oftentimes we don't even think about it consciously. We're just going about our day and suddenly a thought pops up. Oh, man, I don't want to do that. What just happened? Who flipped the switch? Where did that come from? It's part of the training that we've been developing since childhood, right? We're brought up in the world with that that mindset that we only want to do things that are beneficial for us. I want uh, I want you to think about I want to think you you to think about uh, your childhood, way back machine. All right, you got that picture in your head, and I want you to think about what what your attitude was when you were asked to clean your room. What was your attitude when you were asked to do the dishes or take out the garbage or vacuum the floor? Put the microwave back together, James. What, what was your attitude? Right. Even at, even at a young age, that had already creeped its way into your mindset. So you've been holding on to those attitudes for a long time. That's why they come to mind unconsciously for us, right? So in order for us to break that, to do away with that, to disconnect ourselves from what we've literally been programmed from birth to think, for that thought process to go away, the linchpin, the foundation that's going to set us free so that we can serve God without any reservation, we have to fix our attitude. Well, that's great. You say, how do I fix my attitude? Especially, James, if you're saying, well, it's an unconscious thing at this point in time, right? I've been living with it all my life. It just manages to creep in. And I will tell you, I'm not 100% sure. I've been working on this my whole life. I come from an attitude of negativity. My thought processes are negative thought processes. I have to relearn how I... Well, relearn. I have to unlearn an entire way of doing things that got me to where I am. Because where it got me was surviving, but it wasn't prospering. So how do we do that? Well, Paul gives us an indication of how we can change our attitude. Uh, Paul, when he was in prison in Rome... Uh, received just a, a gracious gift. The church in Philippi sent, sent uh, one of their church members with uh, you know, a love offering, a bunch of money for him. Uh, of course, Paul's in prison, right? So their thought process is, well, he must be sad. He must be lonely. Um, he must be depressed. I'm sure if we were in prison, those things would pass through our minds. Uh, But Paul was blessed in prison. He had a different mindset. And so Paul, though lovingly receiving the gift and receiving, um, you know, the the church member, uh, Epaphrodite, uh, accepting him uh, into uh, his home, basically. It's not like he was going to go anywhere else, right? Um, He 
he writes this letter. Now, it's not the only reason. There's other things going on with the church in Philippi, but it gives us an idea then of what we need to do, what we need to look at, so that we can set our attitude on a firm foundation that's going to build us up to where we need to go and not continue to lead us, you know, astray. Uh, You guys ever play that tower stacking game? No, no, no. This is electronic. Come on. No, 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 no. It's a literal, it's called tower. There's a foundation, and then you got pieces that go back and forth, and you got to stop it. And then you got to do the next one and stop it. And you got to stop it. And as you do this, your tower starts to look a little wonky, and you know, you have to do a little extra over here, and it goes faster and faster. Uh, there's versions where pieces literally fall off, and it makes everything unbalanced. That's the way our attitudes have been leading us through life. Each piece is kind of there, we're kind of getting there, but it's kind of off balance, and so it has to go this way, and it has to go this way. This is literally called coping. Really. So our attitudes have lead us, uh, led us to, to set up all these different coping mechanisms, and it's just not good enough. So let's take a little hint from Paul. Let's look at uh, Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to just uh, take a look a little bit at what he has to say uh, in that. So Philippians chapter 2, Paul lists out a couple of different things in verse 3. I gave a whole list of negative attitudes. Um, Does somebody want to just read? Verse 3 of chapter 2 of Philippians, real quick for me. Heidi? Right. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. See, so he really just lists out two. Those can be broken down, right? Obviously selfish, which is pretty much just spelled out, and then don't try to impress others. Uh, This is really to not be uh, conceited, right? To not be uh, prideful, right? Seeking uh, to to puff yourself up. Uh, Now, now you need to make sure that you you understand when Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, he's not uh, trying to, uh, I don't know, I like to say beating them upside the head with a two-by-four. He's not doing that with the church in Philippi. He comes at them from a very tender place, right? Uh, Instead of uh, correction with a a harsh action, jarring them into place, uh, he needs to show them gentle uh, correcting uh, to adjust the alignment of the path that they're on. Because they're on a good path. Uh, They're they're a, a kind, they're a loving church, they're, they're working together well, but there's some, uh, some, some discord there. Uh, people are leaving the church because they're not seeing their, their just rewards. Uh, people are uh, leaving because you know, things don't seem to be working out for them. They're not getting what they want out of it. What's wrong with all of those things? The focus is on me, right? 
I'm not getting what I want out of it. It's just not working out for me. I'm not seeing any rewards. Does that sound like anything that you would experience today? Those phrases, well, of course, you would have to imagine them spoken in Greek, I suppose, but nevertheless, once translated, that's kind of the way we speak today. Unless any of you are fluent in Greek and I don't know it. Uh, so, so Paul, as he's imprisoned in Rome, decides that he needs to deal with some of these issues. So he's breaking it down to its fundamental foundation. And that fundamental foundation to start us out is their attitude. Uh, today, uh, in this day and age, I believe that, you know, as it goes on, it says, what, selfishness and, uh, you know, being conceited as we determine, uh, be humble, right? Uh, did you know that even humility can be used as a, a tool for selfishness? I think we see that a lot uh, today, right? Uh, the crowdfunding movement is a huge thing. Uh, what's the biggest thing? Uh, the, uh, the couple that raised uh, $4,000 uh, for the, the homeless gentleman that say, gave his last 20, $400,000, even worse, $400,000 for the homeless gentleman that, that gave his last $20 so she could fill up her tank of gas. Turns out he was in on it too. The whole thing was set up from the get-go. The whole thing, and people gave to that. The, uh, the news crew that I was watching the story on even like showed one of their staffers who was talking about it because they were one of the people that had contributed because their heart just went out to, for that. This act of humility, this, uh, you know, he helped me, it's the least I can do to help him, do you want to help him too? And instead they took lavish vacations, bought expensive cars, and the only reason that this whole thing fell apart is because they gypped him. <laughs> he hardly saw a dime of the $400,000. That makes more sense. I was half asleep. It's the news. Well, there you go. And now they get nothing. The good news is, is those people that contributed to that, uh, GoFundMe has said that they'll refund the money. So, you know, amen. That, that, that's work out. But humility itself is something that could be used as a tool. And I think that we see that in this day and age, uh, you know, very much. The selfishness that is around underneath that. So, even today, verse 3 here of chapter 2 speaks to us in a very real way. Um, so, just as then, as it is now, Paul has to provide examples of the, the mindset, right? Paul is an excellent teacher. Uh, he, he really has things just sewn up really good. Um, man, the way that he puts things together is just, it's, a, it's amazing. The, the repetition of the, the, the pertinent points and uh, the very con concise, you know, like the way I'm speaking now, um, very concise words to get his point across, to add uh, to what it is. So he provides an example. Uh, the example he provides is often called the hymn of Christ. And 
it's basically a song that he's quoting. Um, now, this is a song, it's got three parts to it. And we're going to go ahead and, and look at those uh, individual parts. Uh, so the parts start, obviously, in uh, verse 6 and 7. Uh, it says, uh, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born uh, as a human being. Um, so his place, his uh, starting point, his beginning, uh, his very nature, talking about uh, Jesus Christ, right? Um, his very beginning point was like beyond what we could even imagine, right? He's of the very nature of God. Now, I just, let, it kind of puts things into perspective, doesn't it? Just think about, uh, you know, people talk about what they've accomplished with their lives. Well, you know, I've done this. Uh, I've, I've done that. I uh, scammed people out of $400,000. Sometimes we even complain about all we've done, right? I always have to do that. Uh, why am I the one who always does this? Why for the past, like, 20 years have I been doing the finances of this church? I hate handling money. Praise the Lord, it's no longer my burden to carry. Pray for Colin. Yes. Um... We exalt through these thoughts, uh, we exalt ourselves to have attained some type of status. Uh, Jesus didn't do things to accomplish the status that he began at. Whereas people today strive to, uh, to do things, to accomplish tasks, to uh, gain status, he flipped the whole script. So, while he was God, he gave up his divine privileges and humbled himself to a position of a slave and was born as a human being. So, while we strive to accomplish things, to try to attain things, there's no way that no matter how many years of service or our accomplishments that we could ever come close to his starting point. His start was better than any type of achievement we could have. But he didn't see it as something to cling to, to hold on to. He didn't see it as something that he had to hold on to uh, for, for anything. Uh, Jesus didn't try to use it to his advantage. Jesus didn't say, you know what, God, that's an excellent plan. Why don't we send Mark to do that? Mark would be a good candidate. He's got the right skill set. Jesus said, if it's your will, Father, I will do it. So he didn't believe himself to be too important or that he had better things to do. Jesus shows in this one act true humility 
is the beginning, the kernel of the right attitude to approach to life. Jesus shows us that it starts with not trying to hold on to what you have found, not trying to hold on to your position, your fame, your fortune. I could name anything. Not trying to cling so preciously to what you have attained. To humble yourself. To be willing to let that go. He willingly took action. Now part two of the song starts with that last little sentence of verse seven and continues into eight. And it says, uh, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. If we see a cross in this day and age, right, we're like, oh, they're, they're probably a Christian, right? It's a symbol of something. Back in, the, in those days, a cross, I want to make sure that you're clear on this, a cross is literally a cursed thing. You are cursed if you hang upon a tree. The cross is not something they looked forward to as a symbol of hope. The cross was left on the pathways as entrance to a town with bodies hanging there to attest to people that had messed with the wrong people. He took action at direct action, direction, pardon me. He took action in direction of God the Father. He didn't say he'd get someone else to do it. That's a great plan, God. He didn't come to us as a king with his royal entourage. He didn't have his heralds with him so that everyone would know for sure I'm right here. He wasn't even born in a good town. It was like the equivalent of like can be or that's the case. Right, boring, come on, the name itself. Gresham, come on. All right. He wasn't even born in a good town. No, I was born in Portland, Jacqueline, not Gresham. Yeah, you were. That's beside the point. He was willing to go to the cross, to be placed on the cursed tree. And he was willing to do that, not because he was looking for status, not because he was looking to hold on to anything. He didn't go unwillingly, right? He did have the, the time in Gethsemane that shared with us where he says, take this cut from me. But what does he say immediately after? But your will be done. He didn't go, oh man, seriously, I gotta do this? Isn't there anyone else? Right? Is it my turn? Isn't the, why do I have to do this? He went willingly. So there's a distinction, right? between giving fully and giving into. He doesn't say, take this cup for me, but I guess if you won't, I guess I'll possibly do what you want me to do. That'd be giving into. That's like being pressured into doing something, and that does not promote a right attitude. Yeah, something gets done, but it's not done the way that it should be done. He went willingly. 
he gave fully. Not my will, but your will be done. So there wasn't a bunch of peer pressure. Come on, Jesus, everyone's dying on the cross for other people's sins. You should too. He didn't have mixed feelings about it. He went into with the proper attitude. Then we move on to part three of the song, verses 9 through 11, where it says, Therefore, therefore, key word, right? Therefore, because of these things, or these things occurred, and therefore these things occurred because of those things, or after those things, right? God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You'll notice in this third part of the song, the chief actor changes, right? The previous two parts, the chief actor is Jesus. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus became a servant. Jesus hung on the cross. Because Jesus did these things, then we have the chief actor being God. It's very important. It is God, not Jesus, who exalts the crucified Jesus, right? Jesus doesn't exalt himself. God exalts him. God raises him from the dead. God gives him the name that's above all names, so that at the name of Jesus, what? Every knee shall bow, on heaven and earth and below the earth. That's pretty inclusive. See, in a Roman city... This is what the the hymn says. The Romans thought that they had won. They thought that in killing Jesus that they showed that every knee bows to Caesar. That everyone would know that Caesar is Lord. But to the Romans' dismay, God raised Jesus from the dead, proved that Caesar is just a man, Salvation and hope, blessing and dominion belong to and are found in Jesus. Jesus didn't face his death like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Standing on the Death Star in front of Darth Vader, where he silently holds up his lightsaber. After saying to Darth Vader, if you strike me down, I should become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. It's a very powerful moment in the movie. It's a turning point, in fact. Jesus didn't go to the cross and say from the cross, if you kill me now, I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. He said from the cross, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So even in persecution to the point of death, he doesn't play his get-out-of-jail-free card. He doesn't plead for them to stop or say, do you know who I am?
to the point of death. So, where are we when the going gets difficult? Where are we when life takes us uh, down a street we don't want to go down? When life beats us up, takes a good whack at us? Where are we when we're having difficulty with, oh, I don't know, our time, our money, You know, if those things are on the line, I'm out. To the point of death. So I would tell you that we too must choose humility. We must choose to come at it from a new mindset. Uh, In the New Testament, this act of humbling itself is quite active. You see it all over the place, so it must just by pure frequency alone. It must be kind of important, right? In Matthew uh, 18.4, in Matthew 23.12, in Luke 3.5, uh, Luke 14.11, uh, Luke 18.11, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 7, 12, verse 21, Uh, Philippians here in verse 8 and in chapter 4, verse 12, and in James uh, chapter 4, verse 10, and 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 6. You get the the idea, right? This is the way. This is the way to the kingdom. We all get caught up in this attitude thing, and it happens to all of us. We all have those moments where we say, why me? Where we say, or oh, do I have to? Right? Or even, I'll do it, but I'm not going to like it. Yeah, I'll get the job done. I'll be there for you. <sighs> but I'm going to hold back, because I'm not really enthused about this. Or when we say to ourselves, why is it always me? Why am I the the one that always does this? Why am I always the one? Just think about it this way. Would you accept that type of attitude from your children? Nope. (laughs) Yet we ourselves, hypocritically, often exhibit these very same issues towards our Heavenly Father. For there to be healthy collaboration within the body, we must do better than giving our whole self. We must do better than using what God has given us as gifts and as talents and as strengths to be used in the body. We have to start from the very beginning. We have to start with our attitude. We have to start with the proper perspective. So the question that I have for you today is, where are you at? I know, you know, I gave the example of a job, right? I know I find myself saying, people have heard me, so I can't deny it. I find myself saying, I hate my job. And I say this knowing that there's a reason, there's a purpose that I'm there. God has made it very clear to me 
He did a number on me. I'm supposed to be working where I'm working now. Pretty obvious. I would have to be completely blind to miss the signs. From the very way I got the job, the circumstances that entailed, it is definitely God's will that I should be there. So, how do I show my gratefulness for him providing for me, for my family? I say I hate my job. Wow. Thanks a lot. Right? How dare you give this to me, God? That's an issue. That's a problem. My attitude needs to be corrected in that. Because if I love God, and I love that He provides for me, and if I love the fact that God is using me in this way, I should be saying, your will be done. I can have my take this cup for me moment. Pretty lame, take this cup. Let's be honest. But your will be done. And that is the attitude that should permeate every single task I undertake. Or am I daft? That means really, really stupid. For those that are daft, like me. <laughs> am I daft to think that God would not direct every moment of my life? And if he doesn't, what am I even doing here? Every action, every thought should permeate with my relationship with God. That is the attitude that should be taken everywhere, in everything that we do. From the very moment we wake up in the morning, do we approach the morning like, uh, I don't want to get up. There better be coffee. Or do we approach the morning with hallelujah, how can I serve God today in my actions? We all have room to grow. So I have questions for you. I've been vulnerable with you. I would like you to take opportunity to be vulnerable with each other. So my questions are, what, what are the areas that you struggle with attitude-wise? What areas do you struggle with attitude-wise? Next uh, question is, can you think of a time that you did a task properly, but with the wrong attitude? Uh, think of a time that you did the task properly, but with the wrong attitude. And then, I want you also to, third question, identify where you find yourself operating with the right attitude. This isn't a beat you up type of thing. This is an opportunity for growth. 
So explore where you're at in certain things, where there's room for growth, and celebrate. Celebrate joyously those tasks that you find yourself approaching with the right attitude. That shows our progression. That's something to be pleased in. And we should always look to be pleased in what God has brought forth in us. So let's go and discuss these things.